So that whole Old Testament, then even the New Testament, can be seen as like, where is this promised child? Dr. Adam Filipic, author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for July, Life in Christ, Rooted, Woven, and Grafted into God's Story. Who's going to crush the head of the serpent and give us back the very presence of God, that land that we dwelt with God in, no sorrow, no suffering, no sin, no death, but in his presence permanently. Learn more about Life in Christ at issuesetc.org. Jesus says in Matthew 7, Beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. What does that mean? What is the real danger of a false prophet? Someone who speaks falsehoods allegedly on God's behalf. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll be looking forward to Sunday morning, the one-year lectionary. That gospel reading from Matthew 7 will be in view with Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Pastor Peter Burfind will join us to discuss the heresy of Gnosticism, past and present. And then Dr. Michael New of the Charlotte Lozier Institute will join us to discuss several things, a new oral contraceptive being approved by the FDA and CNN doing a little statistical sleight of hand in a recent story on Texas's infant mortality rate and Texas's heartbeat law. Pastor Peter Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin. He's director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, welcome back. Good to be with you, Todd. What is the big theme for this coming Sunday? Beware of false prophets, which means beware of any preacher who does not preach the gospel and conduct the ministry according to the gospel. Sometimes we think um, of false prophets as simply being on the outside of the church, but I think Jesus' emphasis in the gospel for the day is especially to beware of false prophets or false preachers who are within the congregations of the church, whom we otherwise would expect to be preaching faithfully but who are not, who are denying the gospel in the way in which they preach or the way in which they conduct their ministry. So that's why Jesus in the gospel says, by their fruits, you will know them. And I like to say when it comes to being a faithful preacher of the gospel, that preachers first have to receive the forgiveness of sins, the gospel for themselves, and come to know it and believe it as the one thing needful, apart from which they don't have salvation before they can preach it to others. And, and we've got examples of that in the New Testament. The Apostle Peter, for example, he had denied his Lord three times, and it was his restoration by the Lord Jesus, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, his restoration to office by the forgiving of all of his sins that made him a valiant preacher and one who was willing to suffer even death rather than deny the Lord who had saved him, who had reconciled him to the Father. And then if you think of Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul, it was that forgiving grace from the gospel that he once tried to destroy that enabled him to be a faithful preacher of that gospel. I think of David in the 
Old Testament, Psalm 51. We use a portion of that for our offertory in Divine Service Setting 3, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, which only comes by having our sins fully and completely forgiven. And then David would say in that Psalm, then will I teach transgressors your ways. In other words, God brings us to repentance and faith that he might bestow upon us his forgiveness. And out of that, the strength of his forgiveness, we are enabled to preach to others. And I think it's important for any pastor to realize that regardless of their talents, their abilities, their advanced degrees, their skills at being a rhetorician and so forth, finally what makes them worthy in the office of the ministry is the gospel that has forgiven them their sins and the gospel by which they have been called into the office of the ministry. That's true for every minister of the gospel. It's also true of every Christian in our earthly sojourn. We're disciples of Jesus, and we're disciples of Jesus because we have from him the forgiveness of all of our sins. We're baptized into his death and into his resurrection, and we live our lives in our earthly pilgrimage by faith in the Son of God and his forgiveness for us. And that leads us into the hymn of the day, In God My Faithful God, LSB 745. For the church and her ministers, faithfulness comes from God and from the gospel of God's forgiveness. It is the reception of this forgiveness in repentant hearts that gives us courage, strength, comfort, and faithfulness throughout our earthly sojourn as baptized Christians and as ministers of the gospel. So look at this lovely text. In God, my faithful God, I trust when dark my road. Great woes may overtake me, yet he will not forsake me. My troubles he can alter, his hand lets nothing falter. My sins fill me with care, yet I will not despair. I build on Christ who loves me. From this rock nothing moves me. To him I will surrender, to him my soul's defender. If death my portion be, it brings great gain to me. It speeds my life's endeavor to live with Christ forever. He gives me joy in sorrow, come death now or tomorrow. O Jesus Christ, my Lord, so meek in deed and word, you suffered death to save us because your love would have us be heirs of heavenly gladness when ends this life of sadness. So be it then, I say, with all my heart each day, dear Lord, we all adore you. We sing for joy before you. Guide us while here we wander until we praise you yonder. And if you think about that text, I mean, it's not a text we usually associate with the office of the ministry, but we should, as we should associate it with the calling to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, though our life is buffeted with enemies against the faith from within our own sinful flesh or on the outside from false preachers and false prophets of various kinds, but we rest upon the confidence of the gospel of Christ, which sees us through this veil of tears. It is our comfort and it is our strength to be faithful as ministers or as Christians. And as far as catechism connections for the day, the third article of the creed, 
I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel. And then those first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, and thy will be done. God's name is kept holy when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity, and we as children of God lead holy lives according to it. God's kingdom comes when our Heavenly Father gives us his Holy Spirit so that we believe his holy word. And the good and gracious will of God is done when he breaks and hinders every evil plan and purpose of devil, world, and flesh that don't want his name to be hallowed or let his kingdom come. And since there is an emphasis on the office of the ministry, beware of false prophets on this particular Sunday, from the table of duties to bishops, pastors, and preachers, the pastor must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. What is the collect for this coming Sunday? Grant to us, Lord, the spirit to think and do always such things as are right, that we who cannot do anything that is good without you may be enabled by you to live according to your will. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So several things here. We cannot do anything that is good apart from the Holy Spirit. And I just mentioned the Catechism third article. This is catechism kind of language, right? I cannot by my own reason or strength believe the gospel or live faithfully according to the gospel. Second thing from this collect, to live according to God's will is to live according to his word. It is to live according to the forgiving righteousness of Christ, which is going to be a theme I will emphasize throughout this Sunday from the Sermon on the Mount. It is to live according to the gospel, to live by faith in Jesus Christ. So this petition in the collect anticipates from the gospel for the day, the good fruit that Jesus speaks of. And finally, with respect to this collect, it is the Holy Spirit alone who enables us to think and do those things that are right. Or we might say it this way, to think or do those things that flow from the gospel of Christ's forgiving righteousness, which is that which brings reconciliation between God and man and between brothers and sisters in Christ and between Christians and those who are enemies of the gospel. So the forgiving righteousness is that which saves us and that which the minister, the faithful preacher, is called to proclaim. The intro it is drawn from Psalm 48, selected verses. Psalm 48, here's the antiphon. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. This is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us forever. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. So the Antiphon presents that which is the object of the church's meditation. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. 
That is the object of our meditation, the steadfast love of the Lord. And as your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. That happens through the preaching of the gospel. The name of the Lord reaches to the ends of the earth, and the right hand is filled with righteousness. That's that forgiving righteousness of the Lord Jesus that we mentioned. So meditation upon the steadfast love of God in Christ is that which characterizes the church and that which brings forth the good fruit of a ministry and of a life of reconciliation that lives by the reconciliation of God in Christ. So this theme of reconciliation that is so paramount in the Sermon on the Mount, we've heard about it on the fourth Sunday after Trinity from Luke 6, you know, judge not, you will not be judged, be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. The forgiving righteousness of Christ, which is the basis of this reconciliation, we heard about that in the sixth Sunday after Trinity from the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. And now on this Sunday, Trinity 8, the warning about false prophets is given as an opportunity to understand that within the church, the fruit of a good tree or of a true prophet is the ministry and life that is lived in the gospel of Christ's reconciliation for all without partiality, or the life or the ministry that is lived from this forgiving righteousness of Christ. And again, more about this in the gospel for the day, but reconciliation is just interesting to me that in these Sundays after Trinity, the fourth Sunday after Trinity, the sixth Sunday after Trinity, and now the eighth Sunday after Trinity, those themes are still quite prevalent. And so the intro for the day is therefore a song of the Church of Jesus Christ, described in the intro as the Temple of the Lord, His Holy Mountain, Mount Zion, the Daughters of Zion, God's Citadel, a song of the Church of Jesus Christ at the Divine Service, where without partiality, the Lord is distributing His undeserved mercy to us by His divine name, whereby we meditate upon the steadfast love of God. So the intro is a great encouraging psalm, I would say, Todd, that in the midst of the warnings in the gospel for the day or the warnings in the Old Testament reading about false prophets and false preachers, focuses our attention on the steadfast love of the Lord, which is proclaimed to us in the gospel. And as long as we receive that word, which Paul calls the word of grace in the second reading for the day from his uh, words to the Ephesian elders, then the church is safe from false prophets and false teachers. The Alleluia verse, Psalm 78, verse 1. Alleluia, give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Alleluia. So understand the words of the psalmist in verse 78 of Psalm 1 that serves as the verse of the day as being the words of Jesus to his church. O my people, give ear to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. It is as if he were saying, Hear, receive, trust in my gospel, to my forgiving righteousness, to my word of mercy, to my call to repentance, to my call to forsake all self-reliance and to entrust yourself to my grace. O my people, give ear to my teaching. So this verse then sets up Jesus' warning very nicely 
about false prophets in today's gospel from the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We're not to listen to them or to give ear to them, but we are to give ear to Jesus, the preeminent faithful prophet and preacher of the gospel, because he preaches the reconciliation of the sinner before God. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. He's director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. We'll get to the Holy Gospel, Matthew 7, verses 15 through 23, after the break. It is the sentence of this court that Theseus Cyprianus be executed with the sword. Cyprian, thanks be to God. Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod President Pastor Matt Harrison speaking at this year's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. So, I would rather lay down on this spot and have my head chopped off than give up the Word of God. But with that strong, biblically informed conscience, I shall face my day and age. You shall face this day and age. We will confess Christ no matter what we face. And we will bear witness to a better way in Jesus. Come what may. Amen. You can watch and listen to Pastor Matt Harrison making the case for the Lutheran option from the 2023 Making the Case Conference for a $300 gift by Labor Day. You can access an on-demand video stream or download a podcast of the entire conference. Order today at issuesetc.org. Defending the faith, teaching the truth. You're listening to Issues Etc. It's commonly said that heresies are 90% truth and only 10% wrong, but it's the 10% that subverts all of Christian doctrine and all of Christian teaching by the essential errors that they promote. Well, if you're wondering about heresies, both ancient and modern, you should pick up a copy of the August issue of The Lutheran Witness, where we talk about these heresies, their ancient roots, and how to mark and avoid them. Visit cph.org witness to subscribe or learn more at our website, witness.lsms.org. Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. In the middle, Christ remains veiled from your eyes. You don't see Jesus face to face as you yearn desire to. You don't see the new imperishable, incorruptible, and eternal life that was given to you in the water of holy baptism. Today, your life remains hidden with Christ in God. From the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, Life in Christ, Rooted, Woven, and Grafted into God's Story. It's the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for July, and it's available from Concordia Publishing House. Their number, 1-800-325-3040. 1-800-325-3040. You can also browse before you buy at our website, issuesetc.org, issuesetc.org. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, the eighth Sunday after Trinity, Pastor Bender, we come to the Gospel reading, Matthew 7, verse 15 through 23. From the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the gospel of the Lord. Well, Todd, these words of Jesus are from the end of the Sermon on the Mount, as I noted. The context of the words at the end of the sermon is significant in helping us interpret the meaning of false prophets, good trees and bad trees, good fruit and bad fruit. Jesus' words are addressed to the church and to the baptized faithful. That's the context of the Sermon on the Mount. So prophets in the context of Matthew's gospel and the life of the New Testament church refer most generally to pastors who are called to preach the word as opposed to false prophets from outside the church. So Jesus' warning is focused therefore upon false pastors or false preachers and teachers within the church. This is why he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not preach in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty things in your name? So false preachers are those who appear to belong to the shepherd. They come in sheepskins. They're initially unnoticed. They sneak up on the sheep unawares and by their doctrine, they're ravenous wolves who devour the faith of the sheep. And remember, the object of faith for us as sheep of the Good Shepherd is Jesus. It is his forgiving righteousness. It is his grace. It is his undeserved love. So the vast majority of baptized Christians trust their pastors, don't they? I find this to be the case. And that's a blessed thing. But Jesus warns against blind trust. Pastors are to be trusted because they preach the gospel faithfully and they direct the sheep to the forgiving righteousness of Christ. And that's the only reason that they should be trusted. And so it's incumbent upon the sheep of the Good Shepherd to be well catechized, to know their small catechism, to know the centrality of the faith, to know the justification of the sinner before God by grace alone through faith alone, to know that the grace of God demonstrates and is a proclamation of God's forgiveness without partiality, without distinction. So I think that's really important in order to be able to understand what is the good fruit of a true preacher versus the bad fruit of the false preacher, the false prophet. So here the context of the Sermon on the Mount would be significant to note. Number one, Jesus has not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill. That's at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Do not think I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. The forgiving righteousness of God that results in our reconciliation with the Father and our entrance into the kingdom of heaven is the second thing I would note at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount that flows from his fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He does so by his righteous life and by his sacrificial death, whereby he makes atonement for all sin. So 
Number three, this forgiving righteousness of Christ is what we share in then as baptized Christians in what the sermon would really be describing as what later dogmaticians came to call the mystical union with our Lord. We share in this union with our Lord and this forgiving righteousness shapes who we are and it defines our disposition and our attitude toward others. Examples of this within the sermon are seen already in the opening Beatitudes. To be poor in spirit, to mourn, to be meek, to hunger and thirst for the righteousness of Christ, to be merciful, to be pure in heart, to be a peacemaker, to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Those are all of the things that Jesus is and all of the things that we share in for Christ's sake through faith in him. And this forgiving righteousness is further seen then in Jesus' words later on in that same chapter and moving into chapter 6 of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus' words say, Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And if you think about our lives as individual Christians, it is that forgiving righteousness described here very concretely in Jesus' words in the sermon that characterizes the life of those baptized Christians who are united to Jesus. And it also characterizes the character, if you will, of the ministers of Christ, the under shepherds of the Lord Jesus, the true prophets, and the fruit of being a faithful prophet. In Jesus' words on the Lord's Prayer, also in the Sermon on the Mount, he gives this stark warning. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So the refusal to preach, teach, and conduct the ministry of the church without partiality and toward the goal of reconciling sinners to the Father by the forgiving righteousness of Christ is an example of the bad fruit of a false prophet. So it's very important to understand the context of Jesus' words and his warning against beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. The refusal to faithfully preach the forgiving righteousness of Christ, which reconciles sinners to the Father, is a denial of the very gospel that pastors or prophets are called to proclaim. And as such, it leads to the condemnation of hell, as Jesus' words indicate in this particular Sunday's gospel. So that Jesus' warning against unfaithful pastors is further seen in Jesus' words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. So that does not presuppose those who, by a different religion, are on the outside of the church, but those who claim to be within the church and claim to be pastors of the church. Jesus' words go on, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And here, workers of lawlessness would be those who 
overturn the gospel by preaching a message that denies the gospel. So this passage should make us think of the ancient Donatist controversy, which asked the question, you know, are the sacraments of hypocritical pastors valid? Well, yes, they are, but not by virtue of their faithfulness, rather by virtue of the word of the Lord. They baptized in the name of the triune God. They cast out demons by the sacrament. They distributed the Lord's body and blood. They did many mighty works in God's name. But if in their preaching, they denied the forgiving righteousness of Christ and refused to minister the office for the sake of reconciling sinners to the Father for Jesus' sake and without partiality, then they are guilty of the worst offense, the denial of the gospel itself. And so that's what Jesus is warning the church against in his warning against false prophets. In the New Testament, we see examples of this from within the church, the circumcision party, who made distinctions between Jew and Gentile and insisted upon the circumcision of the Gentiles and their obedience to the law of Moses before they would be welcomed into the church. Paul pronounces the severest judgment upon them in Galatians 1. You know, if we are an angel of heaven preaches any other gospel than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed by God. That's the judgment of hellfire that Jesus uses in this Sunday's gospel. And this is one of those gospel readings in which it may be difficult to conclude with the gospel acclamations. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. But it is a blessed gospel because Jesus teaches us the all-important truth that in the church, nothing matters more than his word, than his doctrine, than his gospel. And that at the heart of his gospel is his righteousness that covers all our sin, his desire that all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. It is the word of reconciliation for all people without partiality or distinction. And that is a blessed good news indeed. And we need to be centered and grounded in that. And that's what the theme of the eighth Sunday after Trinity is really all about. We will get to the Old Testament reading for the eighth Sunday after Trinity with Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy right after the break. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we continue our adventures in Acts with repentance that leads to life. First called Christians, martyrdom of James, Peter rescued, and when you pray but don't expect an answer. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Find out how your life story is interwoven with the life of Christ in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for July, Life in Christ, Rooted, Woven, and Grafted into God's Story. This new resource is published by Concordia Publishing House, their phone number 1-800-325-3040, or learn more about life in Christ at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month, Life in Christ, Rooted, Woven, and Grafted into God's Story. Equipping the priesthood of all believers, you're listening to Issues Etc. Memoria Press is a family-run publisher of classical Christian education materials for homeschools and private schools. 
Every page of the Memoria Press curriculum leads students to a mastery of content, an understanding of the classical heritage of the Christian West, and an appreciation of truth, goodness, and beauty. If you're interested in learning more, visit memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR23. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. memoriapress.com Register today. The 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is October 11th through the 13th at the Holiday Inn Cincinnati Airport in Erlanger, Kentucky. The conference includes visits to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. Online registration is open now with early bird pricing at lutheransforlife.org conference. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. lutheransforlife.org Welcome back to Issues Etc. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the One Year Lectionary with Pastor Peter Bender. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Bender, what do we find then in the Old Testament reading for this coming Sunday, Jeremiah 23, beginning at verse 16? Another warning about false prophets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, It shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, No disaster shall come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word? Or who has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord, wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places, so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said, who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets, who prophesy lies? and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, I suppose one could call this Old Testament reading a warning against cheap grace, which is really no grace at all, or about a false gospel, which is really no gospel at all, a warning against refusing to call people to genuine repentance. Only then can the gospel really be received. 
The gospel teaches that we do indeed have a gracious God in Christ, but the gospel cannot be received and believed apart from the call to repentance, to the call to renounce every idol and every form of what I might call self-salvation. The gospel does not teach that God's love is a message of tolerance for every deviant behavior or every self-chosen path to happiness. That's what the false prophets in the Old Testament were trying to dupe the children of Israel to believe. The gospel does not teach that God's love embraces sin as something that is good or something that should be embraced and celebrated. The gospel teaches us that we have a gracious God in Christ who is the Savior of all and who calls all without partiality to repentance and faith in him and in his atoning sacrifice above all things, to forsake all forms of idolatry, all covetous desires, all appetites of the flesh, and to flee to Jesus. The gospel teaches us that Christ's forgiveness is the one thing needful, that the gospel alone gives true meaning and purpose to our lives, that Jesus is the object of our faith, even if it means suffering and the loss of earthly pleasures. The gospel turns us away from self-worship to true love for the neighbor and a desire for the neighbor's salvation, which may result in us being hated, being scorned, being ridiculed, but we live in his mercy that by the way in which we live, especially toward those who persecute us and who reject the message of the gospel that we confess, they might see lived out in our lives the gospel for them. The gospel teaches us that the way of peace is to take up our cross and follow him who gave his life upon the cross for us. I think the Old Testament reading for the day, Todd, is a very great reading to be paired up with Jesus warning against false prophets. Lest anybody misunderstand me, I am not at all, when I talk about the forgiving righteousness of Christ, which is the proclamation of the gospel, that this means embracing sin, that love means just accepting everyone for whatever it is they want to believe or confess or lifestyle that they want to live. It rather means that Christ has died for those sins and that before God, quorum Deo, there's no difference. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but that salvation is found only in Jesus and in his atoning sacrifice for us. And we, in the call to repentance, flee from sin to Christ Jesus and for the new life that is born out of his forgiving righteousness in impartial love for others. What do we find in the gradual from Psalm 31, verses 1 and 2? Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Jesus is our rock of refuge, as Psalm 31 declares him to be, a strong fortress. We take refuge in him. He is the object of our worship and the source of our strength when we are tempted from within or persecuted from without. And I think this is a great thing to remember in terms of evaluating the good fruit of the faithful preacher or prophet. Does this pastor give me Jesus? When I listen to him preach, when I listen to him teach, 
Am I directed away from myself to Christ? Do I see my sin for what it really is? Am I brought to a broken and a contrite heart? Does he proclaim to me the full and free forgiveness of all of my sins without partiality on the basis of the merits of Jesus? Does he give me Jesus, the rock of refuge, the strong fortress, my salvation? If he does, then he's a faithful prophet, a faithful preacher. And we could also use, in place of the gradual, the psalm for the day, which is Psalm 26, verse 12. The very last verse of the psalm serves as the antiphon, and it reads as follows. My foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are evil devices, and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. So we think about the Psalms as being prayers that belong in the mouth of Jesus, our faithful prophet and preacher. Think about him, how he is vindicated by faithfully preaching the Lord's word. In his death and resurrection, the Father proclaims him to be the true and faithful witness to the forgiving righteousness of God, which is the salvation of us all. And then this psalm then is taken up by every preacher of the gospel. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. And I proclaim with thanksgiving the wondrous deeds of the Lord. And I love the habitation of your house and the place where the glory of the gospel dwells the gospel which I am privileged as a preacher to proclaim. Or these words belong in the mouth of every Christian. Vindicate me, O Lord, I've walked in my integrity. I hate the assembly of evildoers. I wash my hands in innocence. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners. As for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me, be gracious to me, for I stand upon the forgiving righteousness of Christ. So for the church and for her faithful pastors, the steadfast love of the Lord and his faithfulness is that which is and must always be before our eyes. In the gospel that we hear, in the gospel that we preach, in the gospel that we confess. Vindication, spoken of in the psalm, has in mind that on the last day, the Lord will show that his church's confession of Jesus Christ and him crucified, of faith in the forgiving righteousness of Christ, proclaimed in the preaching of the gospel, is indeed the truth. The false prophets who have rejected this gospel will be put to shame. The faithful confessors and the faithful prophets will be vindicated. Those who hold fast to his word stand on level ground, 
and the Lord will bless them. And that becomes a source then of comfort and encouragement for us, especially as the church and her ministers deal with enemies from within and without and may suffer great persecution and hardship along the way for their confession of faith in Christ. Nonetheless, the Lord will vindicate his people on the last day. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. He's pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, and we will get into the epistle and the alternate epistle next. Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone, apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red Journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. Public schools are increasingly chaotic and undermine Christian children's faith. We need to rebuild our Lutheran schools to provide a truly Christian alternative. Redeemer Classical School is rebuilding this Christ-focused education in Fort Wayne, Indiana, teaching students to wonder at God's creation and to love their neighbors. We need you to help us give children this faithful Christian education. Donations to Redeemer Classical School go directly to providing scholarships. Visit fortwayneclassical.com give. Expert guests, expansive topics, extolling Christ. You're listening to Issues Etc. Job saw the city as a wasteland, as if devoid of God, witnessing injustice to the poor by the corrupt, lawlessness of criminals, trafficking of children, blatant immorality, thinking God could not see wicked deeds done in the dark of night. Yet God never abandoned Job, nor his city, groaning for mercy. God is working through the living Redeemer, hands etched with salvation, pointing to the resurrection to come. Join us at lcms.org slash citymission to seek peace and shine the light in the city. Welcome back. This is Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. Peter, we come now to the epistle in Acts 20, beginning at verse 27, and there is also an alternate epistle in Romans 8. From Acts 20, and you can see the obvious pairing with the gospel for the day and with the Old Testament readings warning against false prophets. St. Paul says at the end of his third missionary journey, to those pastors, the Ephesian elders gathered to hear him. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw people, the disciples, away from them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. 
I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. Todd, I think this particular Sunday, the eighth Sunday after Trinity, you see the unity between all three readings, Old Testament and the second reading from Acts, and then the gospel for the day. It's focus on faithful preaching of the gospel in all of its articles. As Paul indicates to the Ephesian elders, he did not refrain from teaching them the entire counsel of God's word. So the entire counsel of God's word, all doctrine flows forth and orbits around the gospel of Christ and his forgiving righteousness. And this is why they loved him so, and they were so sorrowful, because Paul gave them Jesus. Paul gave them the forgiveness of sins. Paul gave them the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of the body from the dead through the forgiveness of all their sins. Paul reminds them to pay careful attention as pastors to themselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made them overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained or purchased or redeemed with his own precious blood. It's a wonderful text that speaks of the divine call to ministers and their ordination, their holy orders from Christ to preach the gospel. He reminds them of his faithfulness to them, a faithfulness that was rooted in the gospel in not only what he proclaimed, but how he lived his life and demonstrated this gospel that showed no partiality to all to whom he ministered. He warns them, as Jesus did in the gospel of false prophets or false pastors who will come from within the church after his departure like fierce or savage wolves and they will not spare the flock. But in the midst of that warning, what's their protection? Here's, I think, the most important part then of this reading from Acts. Paul commends them to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to protect them and to preserve them faithful to the end. This is a wonderful comfort. It would be like us commending our congregation when we leave to the small catechism. You memorize that second article of the creed. He's redeeming with his holy, precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death that I may be his own. You memorize the entire catechism where there's forgiveness of sins, there's life and salvation. You'll be protected against false prophets. Finally, I think it is significant to draw our attention to the deep love and affection Paul shares with those Ephesian pastors. It is a love and affection that is born out of their mutual reception and commitment to the gospel of God's forgiving righteousness in Christ. What about the alternate epistle? The alternate epistle is really, I guess, the historic epistle for this day. You can see why the framers of the lectionary in LSB chose the Acts 20 as the primary second reading. But this alternate epistle is the historic one for the day, and it continues the catechesis of Paul on the life of sanctification. And it reads as follows. 
Brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. So this historic epistle for the day continues Paul's catechesis on the baptismal life of sanctification that flows from one's justification. So the previous two Sundays were from Romans 6, both of those Sundays on holy baptism and its daily significance in the life of a Christian. So this epistle continues that catechesis in Romans 8 by emphasizing how the Christian puts to death the deeds of the body by the power of the Holy Spirit through the word, a theme highlighted in this Sunday's collect. And if you understand that it is the good word of God that the true prophets proclaim, that's the instrumentality, the means by which the deeds of the body are put to death. Believers are led by the Spirit of God through the divine word of the gospel and are therefore sons of God, receiving the very sonship of Christ himself and are therefore fellow heirs with him. And that becomes a great source of inestimable comfort. So our suffering with Christ for the gospel's sake, where we feel the struggle within as well as the temptations from without, our suffering with Christ for the gospel's sake will lead to our glorification with Christ in the day of the resurrection of the body when our baptism finally comes to its fruition in the resurrection of our body to immortality and incorruptibility in Christ on the last day when this mortal flesh puts on immortality and this corruptible flesh puts on incorruption. With about a minute and a half, summarize this coming Sunday in terms of law and gospel. The law must address three things, I think. Number one, the bad fruit of a false prophet which denies the gospel. The refusal to love the neighbor, to live in reconciliation toward an enemy, and to perform good to all people indiscriminately. The law has got to address that. Number two, the law must address the ignorance of the gospel and what the Catechism teaches, so that we can discern the fruit of a false prophet from that of a true prophet. So the refusal to learn the Catechism by heart, to study the scriptures, to be in Bible class and catechesis, so we know the truth and can be guarded against false teaching. And number three, the law must address when we do not see and believe in the gospel of Christ's forgiving righteousness as the center of the church's preaching faith in life. If we think it's something else, then we got to be called to repentance for that. And the unique gospel for the day, I would say four things. Number one, Jesus' warnings about false prophets flow from his love for us and from his desire for the salvation of all. So though they are hard to hear, warnings are necessary and good to hear because they guard and they protect us. Number two, 
The steadfast love of the Lord in Christ is the source of our comfort and the object of our faith. And the intro, it leads off with that in the antiphon for the day. Number three, the word of grace, as St. Paul said to the Ephesian elders, is able to preserve and protect us from false preaching, which denies the gospel. So if we learn the truth, if we learn the catechism, if we meditate upon the truths and the promises of God in Holy Scripture, the word of grace is able to preserve and protect us. And finally, number four, the word of grace is the pastor's soul strength. Therefore, the ability to be faithful as a pastor comes from the Lord and not from us, for he is the one who has called us by the gospel to salvation and called us by the gospel into the office of the ministry to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Pastor Peter Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin. He's also director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, thanks. Thank you, Todd. Pastor Peter Burfine joins us on the other side of the break to discuss the heresy of Gnosticism, past and present. Then we'll discuss several abortion-related issues with Dr. Michael New of the Charlotte Lozier Institute. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.